0: and open them to the book of Luke chapter 19. This morning we will be looking at verses 28 through 44. I've entitled this message, The Messiah Revealed. For thousands of years the nation of Israel anticipated the arrival of their Messiah. Every generation longed for their deliverer to come and establish his kingdom on the earth. This was especially true during the time of Christ. Due to the oppressive Roman government, Israel was ready for God to send the Messiah so that he could defeat their enemy. When the time was right, God the Father sent forth his only son, the Lord Jesus, to be the Savior of the world. That is the one that we've been speaking about this morning. That's the one we've been singing to exalting his name. The Bible says if we lift up the name of Jesus, that God will draw all men to him. For three and a half years, the Messiah ministered among the people. He preached with great authority. He healed the sick. He even raised the dead. Through his life, All of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah were fulfilled. Still, many, many did not even recognize him when he came. They did not identify him as the Messiah. Finally, when the Passover drew near, Jesus entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. This was in fulfillment of one of the prophecies of the Old Testament. This was one of the ways that Jesus revealed who he was. This is one of the ways he announced to the people that he was, in fact, the Messiah that they had longed for so desperately. This revelation demanded a decision. Would the people receive him or reject him? Today, we still have that same decision to make here this morning you have that same decision to make will you embrace Jesus as the Messiah will you recognize him as Savior and Lord or will you reject him the way you respond to that question will determine where you spend eternity it's a very important decision and my appeal to you this morning is that you will decide to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be the best decision you've ever made. It will be a decision that changes the course of your eternity. And so I appeal to you today to listen carefully to this message as we look at the text together. Luke chapter 19 verses 28 through 44 as it records the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Jesus used this event to reveal himself as the Messiah. So let's try to imagine what it was like so long ago, so many years ago. And I understand that, uh, uh, as we, as we consider this passage this morning, that, that next Sunday is Palm Sunday, but this will prepare us for it. We will be able to anticipate it and then next Sunday morning we're going to look at the cross. And we're also going to have the Lord's Supper together. So it's going to be a very special service next Sunday morning. I hope you'll be here for that. But let's look at this passage together, Luke chapter 19 beginning in verse 28. And here we see the plan of the Messiah. Let me begin to read it for you. After Jesus had said these things, he was going on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now the things about which Jesus had been speaking were parables. He had been telling parables. If you trace his steps back uh, in recent days, you will find him in the northern section of Israel in a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was known for its idolatry. There was there were many gods there that people worshipped and had for many, many years. And uh, Jesus was with his disciples there, and he asked them this question, Who do people say that I am? Who do people say the Son of, the man, who, who the son of man really is? And, and uh, Peter spoke up, as he often did, and said, Well, some say you're Elijah, some Jeremiah. Others say that you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked him this, Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And uh, Jesus responded and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father, which is in heaven and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is, upon your statement, upon this truth that Christ is the Messiah sent from God, the church will be built. And then Jesus began to tell them about where he was going from there. How that he was going to the cross to be crucified in Jerusalem and then be raised from the dead. Well, Peter spoke up and said, Far be it from you, Lord. That will never happen. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. He rebuked Peter for allowing Satan to blind his eyes as to, for, as to his true purpose in coming. And then with his disciples, they turned their faces to the south. Jesus goes back toward the Sea of Galilee down the Jordan River Valley, and when he gets to Jericho, he turns to the west, goes into Jericho, ministers there, and then he goes on west, up, up, up to Jerusalem. Before he gets to Jerusalem, he stops in the vicinity of Bethany. Bethany, as you well know, was a location of the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, it was located on the eastern slope of the uh, Mount of Olives. So it was very close to the Temple Mount. When Jesus was in Jerusalem, he would often stay with them for that purpose. As a matter of fact, when you when you go up, ascend the Mount of Olives from Bethany, and then you descend, you go down into the Kidron Valley, and then there, up the mountain, up the hill, is the Temple Mount, where the temple stood. So Jesus was preparing. He had a plan to go into Jerusalem as a big way to announce who he was in anticipation of his death. So we see the plan revealed here in verse 28. It was a plan of reconciliation. This plan of that was revealed was a plan of reconciliation. Jesus was revealing that the Messiah was not just a political leader who came to free Israel from the bondage of the Romans. But he came to do far more than that. And that is to break the shackles of sin so that all who would trust Christ could be forgiven of their sins They would become followers of Lord Jesus. They would be saved. Now, yes, Jesus is going to establish his kingdom. That is for sure. But first of all, he dealt with a sin problem. And I'm so glad he did because I needed freedom. I needed to be set free from my sin, from the burden and the penalty and the power of sin in my life. And so did you. Jesus came to accomplish that and he did exactly what he set out to do. So this is the plan that Jesus had to go up to Jerusalem to die as the Messiah. And by the way, this is a plan uh, that was not plan B. It was not... Something that developed throughout Jesus' ministry. He decided to do this at the last moment. Oh no. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. This tells us that the cross was planned before the world was even created. God knew that when he made men and women... And gave them the opportunity they would choose to rebel. And yes, they did. Adam sinned. We've all sinned. But with our sin, God has provided a way of salvation. So God, knowing that beforehand, planned that Jesus would come to be our Savior. And now we see the plan is taking shape. Uh, The plan is developing just the way God intended it to develop. You know, throughout all of creation, we see design. It's amazing to me to look at different aspects of God's creative work and we see His glory revealed. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament His handiwork. In other words, when we look at the heavens or when we look at creation in general, we see that God is a great creator. He's a great designer. And there's so many intricacies of creation that are necessary in order for us to survive on this planet to make it viable for us to live on it. I think about, for example, the location of the earth in proximity to the sun. If we were closer to the sun, we would be scorched to death. If we were farther away from the sun, we would freeze to death. We're just in the right place to make life perfect for human beings on this planet. So the balance of life on this planet did not happen by accident, but by design. God as creator planned his creation and then he put his plan into practice. As amazing as God's plan of creation is, and it is amazing it pales in comparison to god's redemptive plan the bible declares that jesus is the lamb of god as i mentioned slain before the creation of the world so god has designed this plan and now we see him carrying out the plan to perfection just as he intended that's the plan of of the Messiah. Then notice the preparation by the Messiah. We begin to see this in verse 29. We see that Jesus sent his disciples. To do some preparation work. To carry out this plan. Verse 29. When Jesus approached Beth, that page And Bethany near the mount. That is called Olivet. He sent two. Of his disciples. So he, he tells them with instructions. What to do. And sends them out to do it. Then notice they secured a colt. Verse 30. And this is what he tells them. Saying, go into the village ahead of you. There you will enter. You will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Now this colt is a donkey. And it has significance. We'll see that in just a moment. Verse 31, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You say, the Lord has need of it. So Jesus has already arranged this. But he's sending his disciples now to execute this plan. Verse 32, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt. Its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. So here the the disciples, these two disciples are sent to secure a colt. A colt, keep in mind this, that a a colt was a symbol of kingship and peace. When a king would ride out to war, he would not leave on a donkey. He would be riding a steed. But when the victory was won. And he returned back to his people. When he entered the city. He would be riding on the back of a donkey. It was a symbol of peace. It was a symbol of kingship. Of royalty. It was a symbol of authority. And that's what Jesus is conveying. As he is staging his entry now into the city of Jerusalem. Notice as well in verse thirty-five that he satisfied the Scriptures in doing this. Let me read it for you. They brought it, that is, they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the coat on the colt and put Jesus on it. Now the reason this is so important is because it's in fulfillment of the scriptures. For example, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, we read a messianic prophecy. This prophecy tells us that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Let me read it for you. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Now the term Zion and Jerusalem are used interchangeably here. He says, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey. Even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So when Jesus enters here into the city of Jerusalem, he is making a very strong statement that he is the Messiah, that he is the king, and the people receive him with great joy. Now you have to understand when Jesus enters, he knows what's happening. He understands that although he is the king, and that kingship is exhibited with him riding on this donkey, that he will also be met with hostility as the week progresses. There will be the point at which he would be arrested, condemned, and crucified. He understands this, but he doesn't flee the city. He goes right on into the difficulty that he's about to face. You know, I suppose one of the most examined pieces of film in history is that of the assassination of President Kennedy. As the president's motorcade turned down the road in in front of the book depository there in Dallas, it is obvious that the president had no idea that he was about to die. When you watch the scene, when you look at that footage, You want to stop him. You want to step forward and say, don't go there. Because you know what is going to happen. But there's nothing you can do to stop it. Because it is a fact in history. When reviewing the final days of Jesus' life before his crucifixion, it is clear that he was very much aware of what would happen when he turned his face to Jerusalem. When he rode into the city on the back of the donkey, he knew that he was going into a hostile situation that would result in his beating and ultimate crucifixion and death. But yet he doesn't stop. He goes headlong into that situation. And the reason he did is because he was driven by love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Think about that for just a moment. That God loved you so much, he came to die for you. And I believe with all my heart, if you would have been the only person in need of God's grace, Jesus would have died for you. Love is not sufficient to save us. But love is the motivation that enabled us to be saved. God cannot just overlook our sins because he loves us. Because God is holy and just. For God to overlook our sins, he would have to cease to be holy. No, God in his righteousness must deal with our sinfulness. And so that's why Jesus paid the sin debt that you and I owe. So that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. And when we by faith trust Jesus to save us. The Bible says that we're cleansed from all of our sins and unrighteousness. And we're placed in right relationship with him. Aren't you glad that you don't have to live a life of perfection before God forgives you? I said aren't you glad you don't have to live a life of perfection before Jesus forgives you? I would never make it. Neither would you. I wouldn't even be close. Because our sin is so pervasive in our lives. But Jesus paid for the sins that you and I have committed. With his own shed blood at Calvary's cross. He paid the penalty for our sin which is death. But he didn't stay dead. He was raised in victory from the grave. And when you and I acknowledge our sin before God. And we turn our face from our sin and turn to Christ and say, Lord, I've received by faith the Lord Jesus and the righteousness that he has provided for me. I give my life to you, Lord. Here I am. The Bible says God cleanses us. He redeems us. He reconciles us with himself. And he gives us the promise of eternal life. With him, I'm telling you, this is why Jesus came. And this is how he's presenting himself when he comes into Jerusalem as the king that ultimately would die. Then we see the praise for the Messiah. You'll notice this in verses 36 and following. Notice the praise demonstrated in verse 36. As he was going, they were spreading their coats On the road. The coats were symbolic. Of respect. And submission. Other accounts say they were. Waving palm branches. To symbolize joy. And victory. I remember standing at. The lion's gate. There. In the old city of Jerusalem. And seeing people gathering for a celebration. And many of them had. Palm branches in their hands. It reminded me of this story. And I want you to know that even today, there are those in Israel who celebrate by using palm branches. It's a way that they express joy and excitement and victory. And as they were lining the streets, receiving Jesus as he came into Jerusalem. They were waving their palm branches and they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were excited to receive him. Now, it is true, many of them did not understand fully what Jesus was about to do. Uh, They did not know they were welcoming a a Messiah who was going to die on the cross. In their minds... Their idea was that here comes the king. Now he's going to lead in an insurrection that will overthrow the Romans. He will establish his kingdom on the earth and we will rule and reign with him. They did not see their own depravity. The extent to which their sin needed to be purged through the death of Christ Jesus. But here they are throwing their coats down and they are celebrating, waving their palm branches. Then we see the praise declared. Look at verses 37 and 38. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice and all the miracles which they had seen. Shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now this statement here in verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord is from the book of Psalms. It's Psalm one. 18 verse 26. And it's a reflection of the Messiah. It's a messianic psalm. So here they are actually identifying Jesus as the Messiah by quoting a messianic psalm. So they get the picture that Jesus is conveying. They understand what he's doing and why he's doing it. Although in their minds their idea of what the Messiah was to be was not as consistent with the scripture as it needed to be, they still saw Jesus as the Messiah at this point. And they are celebrating his entry into Jerusalem. But notice this praise that they are exhibiting is denounced. Look in verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why did they say this? They said it because they themselves did not acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. The reason they issued this rebuke is because they understood what Jesus was doing. He was riding in to Jerusalem on the back of the donkey in an expression of his messiahship as according to Zechariah 9.9 as we read earlier. And also when the people began to shout praises to him from a messianic psalm, they understood that the people recognized Jesus as the messiah and they could not tolerate the thought. So they issue this rebuke for Jesus to speak to those who are shouting out and to tell them to be quiet But Jesus did not. Notice what happens. Jesus speaks about the praise being deserved. Look at verse 40. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. I love that, don't you? I love that statement, that, that if these who are giving me praise and this recognition as to me being the Messiah, if they remain quiet, the stones will begin to cry out. I love that statement because it is so true. Jesus deserves to be praised. He deserves to be honored and glorified because of who he is. Have you ever had some good news that you just couldn't tell? You were told to keep it silent. And then when you finally had an opportunity to to let it out, you just told everybody. We've all been in that situation. Your excitement and enthusiasm demanded that you tell someone. When you see who God really is, when you understand what the Bible says about Jesus and the impact he has upon your life, you can't keep that silent. You can't keep that news to yourself. You want to tell someone. If you don't have this burning passion within your heart to share Jesus with other people, it's a reflection on where you are spiritually. It reveals that there's a misunderstanding about who Jesus really is. That you don't know what the Bible really says about him. Because there's no one like our God. He is incomprehensible in power, glory, and greatness. He is clothed in unmatched beauty. He is pure, righteous, and holy beyond our ability to see and conceive. It is only right that he is praised. It is only right that we give him glory. There is no other being in all of creation who deserves to be worshipped. No one and nothing. God and God alone should be praised. That's why when we gather here on Sundays and Wednesdays and other activities, we point to the Lord Jesus Christ and we sing praise to him and we pray to him and we exalt him through the preaching of the gospel. It's because he and he alone deserves to be praised. Jesus told the spiritually blind religious leaders that if the people were silent, the very stones themselves would come alive to praise. Why? The message is that the Messiah has come to earth to save sinners. And this is too good of news to keep to oneself. As the old country preacher once said, I ain't going to let no rock out shout me. And I like that, don't you? I ain't going to let no rock out shout me. And neither should you. So we see praise for the Messiah. And then notice the pain of the Messiah. The pain of the Messiah. Look at verses 41 and 42. We see his pain over Jerusalem's rejection. The Bible says here when... He approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. Now I want you to pay careful attention to what I 'm about to say. He saw the city of Jerusalem. Now, folks, if you 've never been to Israel, it's hard to envision this and 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 those the folks who' have been with me on these trips to Israel, you know what I 'm talking about the the trek you take down into the valley. As you're going down you, from the Mount of Olives, you see the city of Jerusalem. You, you can see it right there before you. When Jesus saw the city of Jerusalem, the Bible says that he wept. There are two times the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. One time was at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, and it was a silent weeping. The other occasion is mentioned here in this passage when Jesus saw the city of Jerusalem, but this time his weeping was a loud lament. It was like someone uncontrollably weeping over the death of a close loved one. His heart was broken. His heart is filled with pain because of Israel's rejection of him. He knows that those who were lining the streets, singing his praise, that many of them will turn on him before the week is out and they will shout, Crucify him! Crucify him! And it breaks his heart. His pain, his anguish, because of rejection the bible tells us here look again at verse 41 when he approached jerusalem he saw the city and wept over it saying if you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace but now they have been hidden from your eyes what is he talking about here He's saying that you saw me walk in your midst. In fulfillment of literally hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah. You have witnessed with your own eyes. The miracles that I have performed. Even the raising of the dead. You've heard me preach the truth. Yet with all of these witnesses before you. You have turned a blind eye and rejected me. And now... You're hardened to the point that you don't even want to hear the truth. You see, there comes a point in a person's life when you reject Christ for so long, you get to the place where you don't care any longer. Your heart becomes hard as stone and your eyes are so blind you cannot see the truth. I think our churches are filled with people just like this. They've heard the gospel being preached over and over and over again and they've rejected Christ and they've put it off and they've rejected him and now they don't even feel the power of his spirit drawing them to salvation. They have become spiritually blinded and hardened in that blindness. Then we see pain over Jerusalem's destruction. Listen carefully. Verses 43 and 44. For the days will come, and Jesus is, by the way, Jesus is given a prophecy here. This is a prediction that will come true, as all of his prophecies did. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground And your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. That happened in 70 AD. Just as Jesus prophesied. A rebellion rose up among the Jews against Rome. Roman soldiers encircled the city of Jerusalem for 143 days. When they finally broke into the city, they killed over 600,000 Jews. And they completely destroyed Jerusalem. They leveled the temple that stood on the Temple Mount. And they threw big stones from the top of that temple mount over the retaining wall. And if you were to get into a plane this afternoon, fly over to Tel Aviv, and get, then drive from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, get out, walk to the southern end of the temple mount, you know what you'd find? You'd find that they're still lying there in that valley... Huge stones that were a part of the temple that had been built by Herod that had been thrown over. And they are still lying there as witnesses that this prophecy came true in 70 A.D. Just as Jesus foretold. It brought great pain to Christ to know what was coming. It burned his heart and he was lamenting. He was weeping. He was pouring out his heart in grief because of what was coming upon the nation of Israel and particularly the city of Jerusalem. As we read about Jesus' experience on the cross, we, we recoil... To think how painful it must have been for Christ. To, to know that that this was his final week in Jerusalem. And there he had a number of things that he did we won't go into. But it ultimately culminated with his own disciple Judas directing a demonic mob into the interior of the Garden of Gethsemane, located on the Mount of Olives. There he identified Jesus as the one to arrest by planning a kiss, as was customary that day in the greeting of a friend. They shackled Jesus. His disciples fled in fear. They began a series of trials, six trials in all, Several through the night, which was, by the way, illegal. They falsely accused Jesus. They spat in his face. They slapped him. They hit him over the head with reeds. They pulled the beard from his face. And ultimately, they beat him beyond recognition. And then put a crossbeam on his back. And demanded that he take that heavy cross to Golgotha, the place of the skull located outside the city walls of Jerusalem. There, at that busy thoroughfare, they crucified the Son of God, and he hung there practically naked between heaven and earth for six hours. Six hours. Bleeding to death. Why did he do it? He did it because of us. He did it to save us. But that's not the worst thing Jesus experienced. That was not the worst pain that he had to endure. I believe one of the greatest difficulties of this journey for Christ was this. To look down across that city... And to know that there were men, women, boys, and girls who would reject his offer of salvation. And I believe that Jesus feels the same way about us today. People perhaps here in this worship center this morning, maybe some who are listening or watching online. And you break the heart of God By your obstinate rejection of Christ's offer for salvation. One thing is sure, you'll never find anybody to love you more than Jesus. You can live the rest of your life or a thousand lives and you'll never find anybody who will love you like Jesus. The Messiah has revealed himself. He's made himself known to you. Will you receive him by faith? Will you trust him to save you? Will you call upon his name when he can be found? Or will you turn away and reject him? The decision you make will determine where you spend eternity. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of it most of all, we thank you for the love that prompted Jesus to come to this earth and to die on the cross and then to be raised from the dead that we might be saved. For those who have never trusted Jesus, Lord, I, I pray that they will this very day. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.